This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. So, how do we start this? How do we? How do what we are we kinda, talking about today? Well, I thought we could talk about that about that post and just, you know, the motivation behind it. You know, why are we? Why are we? Why did we put that out? What are we concerned about? Yeah. What's that? What, before we get started, what is that um, disorder that trans women have? What's it called? AGP. Yeah, AGP. Only about uh, seventy. Well, about seventy-five percent of them. Yeah, what is that? I mean, what, what's that name? How do you say that again? So I just don't want to say something stupid. Autogynophilia. Autogynophilia. <laughs> That's why I say AGP. War rolls off the tongue. Autogynophilia. Nope, nope. Okay, autogynophilia. Yeah, AGP. So, so, so go ahead, it was, Scott. It was interesting reading that article because I really didn't know. I, I really have had never and maybe we can touch on this or not but even as a trans i never really understood why trans women were so focused on you know making people believe that that they're women uh you know biological women i got it now even after that blog blog i was like okay i get that that makes sense now uh it's a sexual fantasy you can't you can't mess with their fantasy so Mm -hmm. yep it only it only works when uninterrupted what's up kenneth well, anything that pierces that collapses the bubble, right? And yeah. and then they they have nothing to fall back on. They're just totally, totally, completely, and utterly devastated. I've I've even tried to have a conversation and explaining that, like, I was a beautiful woman, right? Blonde hair, blue eyes, slim, five foot seven, um, Norwegian. And trying to explain to them that women get called he all the time. It's no big deal. But for them, it just shattered everything. My friend would, when she was in college, she'd go home from the day. Somebody called me he. She'd go home and spend the rest of the day crying in bed. Like it just totally shattered her world to be referred to as anything but she, her, or I don't know. I, I, I really kind of, um, I've, I've been struggling on trying to figure out why the whole, the whole, uh, insistence. And that, and I think that's the reason why that blog did so well is because I understand it now and it makes perfect sense. Mm. There's two kinds of trans, you know, there's one, I, I call it fetish trans now. And then, you know, people that want to be the opposite sex, uh, and it makes perfect sense, but it's interesting that the the fetish people, the people, it's clearly mental illness, uh, are the ones that politicians are going, okay, wh- what do we need to do? Oh, oh, uh, trans women, women, oh, okay. It's not, it's not a mental illness. It's more, it's, it's, it's more closely aligned to a sexual orientation than anything else. Um, it's basically inverted heterosexuality. Um, so they are they are attracted to women, but much more so attracted to themselves 
as women. And, and it's a very, it's just internalized heterosexuality. Um, and then, but it's when, it's when the ex- external world has to participate in that, uh, in that fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. It's when we get into ethically gray areas and the Morganes and um, the lot of them do not want those questions asked, do not want a magnifying glass on what exactly their feelings and motivations are. Uh, that's why everything has to be just tucked under the label of gender identity. And it also explains why the conversion therapy conflation, because for them, undoing or trying to treat AGP cognitively is going to look exactly like trying to treat homosexuality cognitively. It won't work. Um, whereas it it will for most of the rest of, or probably all the rest of causes of gender dysphoria. Cause that's another thing to note with autogonophilia is it can create very severe and debilitating clinical uh, gender dysphoria. When, when what you, what your brain is expecting is not reflected back, you know, when you're to be specific for a section and uh, explicit for a sec- second, when your brain is thinking I should have a vagina and a penis is there with an erection at the thought of having a vagina that can cause severe debilitating dysphoria. And, and, um, and usually that only happens as far as I understand much later in, uh, in the, the age development of an AGP, we're talking middle age. And that's why that's when a lot of them actually do physically uh, transition. Um, so, so I want to be, um, I, I want to be very empathetic to that, that type of dysphoria because it's very real. And as I've said, I, th- I think it's the most real and the most, uh, the okay. least treatable. Yeah. Um, cognitively. And uh, so the, 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 the trans women out there who have AGP and are honest about what the cause is and, and the fact that they are not women and they do not need to, to colonize women's spaces in order to get this 24 seven fantasy fulfilled. I have, they have my utmost respect, um, but it's the ones who are, shoveling this affirmation only transition children uh, agenda to validate their orientation is, is what gotcha. is um, un- unforgivable and unacceptable. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, and 20 years ago when there was a lot more assessment and, and psychotherapy um, prior to, to medically transitioning, um, you know, they were talking about, these different types of gender dysphoria and helping people to, to understand that. And, and I, I personally think that's why we saw fewer societal problems, not, not just that there's more of us now, but that they used to be doing a lot more psychological preparatory work prior to transitioning to help people understand their condition and do it in a, in a healthy way. And, And now they're just, a, they're not giving people that information and, and helping people make sense of that. And they're just, they're just calling it all trans and, and, and starting people on hormones as fast as possible. And, and there's, really, yeah. there's really no help for people to, to navigate things psychologically. And, you know, and, and I think as with any sexual orientation, I mean, there are going to be people that have mental illness on, in addition to... Um, you know, gender dysphoria. And, and I think that's why we're, you know, we're seeing young men in women's bathrooms, taking pictures of themselves jerking off with like little girls and and women in the background. Like that kind of thing wasn't to my knowledge, wasn't happening 20 years ago. I mean, that a wouldn't have been tolerated, but I think people were also supported a lot better and screened a lot better. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the students got the keys to the classroom somewhere along the way is what happened, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the whole narrative that anything, anyone who wants to speak to the issue outside of their, um, the trans radical advocate's stance on it is invalid or insignificant and should just be um, brushed aside and um, it's, it's not relevant to the discussion at hand. Like um, after my hysterectomy, I received gender affirming care. The problem was that as part of that gender affirming care, um, I experienced a complication. And the complicate. I don't talk about this because I find it embarrassing. Um, not, the complication. Are we recording I, right I, now? By the way. Yeah. Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The complication I experienced was a abscess, and um, I live with a history of childhood um, sexual exploitation. So the way I emotionally process pain is it wasn't safe to feel pain or display pain. So. I don't present pain well to medical professionals. The more severe the pain, the less I process it emotionally. So I had this abscess process going on for about nine months after my hysterectomy. And by the time I was finally going to the emergency room, getting it dealt with, like I walked into an emergency room in Vancouver um, in 2008, and in under 45 minutes, they were operating on me. And that was a time where the waiting, average waiting time in a, host, in a hospital emergency room was six to eight hours. Um, so the abscess had gotten so bad that it, it, it was all the way from where my uterus, where, where my uterus used to be down to um, where my anus is. And I now have an anus, and within the within an inch of the anus, I have an open weeping fistula that's slowly closing. And I've had to deal with abscess processes from that because location, location, location. The gender affirming care didn't help me. You know, somebody should have done an internal <laughs> vaginal exam um, to see what was going on, to see if it had anything to do with my hysterectomy because it did um and that wasn't you know they talk about more gain lists this five percent unhappy customers but was i recorded in the five percent you know does anybody talk about the complications related to it? like this is a hysterectomy right this is a a, a, a surgery that's commonly performed the severity of the complication uh was in part due to um doctors at that time being like literally afraid um to address the female biology involved because you had this you know this is the same time where um, that one, um, 
that one trans guy got onto the was it the Georgia Strait who picked up his article because a doctor was concerned that the that the guy may be pregnant and may have an atopic pregnancy because of the pain that he was presenting with. So the doctor insisted on performing a pregnancy test. And the guy was like, well, this was devastating to my emotional, psychological health and my gender identity because I had a pregnancy test done even though I was post-hysterectomy. Well, post-hysterectomy, you can still have eggs in there and, you know, um, So it's, it's a really dangerous narrative, right? Yeah, tip, tiptoe using, using this affirmation, affirmative language and, and neglecting actual physical uh, or bodily health. Exactly. Forsaking it too. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I was on the wait list for um, metoidioplasty for about 10 years and um, and then I, you know, I, went, I was sent to Texas and, and had, had it done. And so from the time that I was put on the wait list, well, actually from the time that I started testosterone, so about, I guess, 15 years ago, until the time I was actually unconscious on the surgery table, nobody at any point in that 15-year period examined my anatomy to say whether or not I was a good candidate for that surgery or not. And when I woke up from the surgery, that's when I learned that I wasn't in terms of just aesthetic outcomes. And so, and I think that's because, you know, they assume that we're all really embarrassed or that it's triggering uh, of our dysphoria to ever look at our junk and, and, and do exams. But I would much rather that than end up having surgery that I wasn't a good candidate for. Mm -hmm. you know and that um and that that wasn't ever really talked about in the consultation with the surgeon or or, or anything like that so and, yeah, and, speaking and the surgeon has never followed up with me to to ask like are you happy with it like there's been no survey yeah speaking to that Aaron I just I guess I want to clarify um I'm involved I'm embarrassed about the anus issue um, I have no problem with the vagina speak. It's like, how do you talk to people about the fact that, you know, I've got, a, I've, my problem is I've got a fistula within an inch of my anus and I live with the outcome of that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my, my embarrassment is about the anus stuff. It's okay. not about where the um, problem started. So yeah, speaking to um, what you're talking about, about, the doctor, the failure to examine the situation that it's, yeah, I just want to be really, I guess, clarify that part of the issue. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to, to um, the post and, you know, discussion about AGP. So the, the, in, in Scott, I'd love to hear a bit about the pushback you're getting from that too, but most of the comments that I'm seeing are, um, saying, well, AGP doesn't exist. It's, it's been a, you know, a debunked, unscientific theory. Uh, so it's different, different versions of that, right? That, that it doesn't exist. It's debunked theory. It's not scientific. And therefore, by bringing it up, you're just being transphobic. 
Well, I think I think we probably need to start off the video with with what has happened, because even though we know what's happened, people that are, are tuning in have no idea what happened. So um, I'll say it because I don't have nobody's trying to attack my career, so I'll, I'll do it. So um, there was a, a signature that both Aaron and I signed um, for Wolf, right? Kind of trying to protect women's rights or or putting some boundaries uh, around trans people. So uh, Mo Morgan Ogre, who is who is a, a trans radical, right, um, basically uh, did some really uncool things, trying to get him in trouble, going to the uh, being a, a medical professional, outing his information online, just basically, you know, bullying stuff, right? Stuff that that uh, trans radicals have always done. Um, but me and me and Aaron are like, this isn't cool. Uh, this is not really cool. And so Aaron and I talked for a couple of weeks and I I've told this to him and many, many times, this is a big deal. I mean, this could be a turning point in, in this situation, but you need to be ready to take this on because this is going to be a lot of stress. And it's kind of interesting that a couple of weeks ago, Aaron, we were saying, you know what, let's just let this go and, 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 and go away. And then Morgan, of course, went to uh, the press and it was like, at that point, it was like, all right, okay, let's do this. Uh, and then the blog that you wrote about, uh, Aaron was so eye-opening to me, even as a trans, even as a trans person, I didn't understand. Uh, I have never understood why there's so much, uh, you know, foot cement. I'm not moving. You know, I'm, I'm not a man. I'm a woman. Uh, I didn't understand that. And I understand it after that blog now, because it's, it's kind of, it's creating that fantasy, right? Creating that fantasy. Uh, so having, two different kinds of trans, like you say, Aaron, which is we have uh, trans that want to be the opposite sex, feel more comfortable uh, presenting the opposite sex. And you know what? There's synthetic hormones and surgeries to do so. It just needs to be safe, right? It just needs to be regulated. But it is what it is. It's cosmetic surgery, no different, I'm sorry, than a boob job. Boob jobs don't save lives and, and neither does medical transition. It is a choice, in my opinion. Um, but the other side of the trans is the women who are the, the trans women, the men who get, you know, turned on by thinking that they are a woman having sex with a woman. So it's just like it's stuff that nobody people don't even want to think about that. Right. That's like, you know, I don't care what your sexual orientation is, what turns you on. Go for it. Shut the door. As long as, you know, nobody gets hurt and, you know, all that type of stuff. It's fine. Um but what I found interesting after reading that and then following up with all the significant trans uh, women that have basically screamed so loud, they all have this AGP. Um, and it makes sense to me now why they're fighting so hard. What doesn't make sense to me and what just absolutely bewilders me is that we have society sitting back going yeah trans women are women they really are you're an asshole uh and you know this kind of stuff and and the fact that that kids at four and five and six and seven and 12 years old you know they are able to go yeah i was born in the wrong body and nobody can prove it with biological studies nobody can you know tell you what the long-term success of it is nobody can tell you what happens to puberty blockers they don't want even want to do studies on you know puberty blockers although it's a hugely dangerous drug but then we have society that's sitting in the background you know watching the headline news seeing you know trans women are women they're like yeah steve trans women are women they really are 
and uh, all this stuff is happening. And then I realized this week that this is the only people that are out. These are the only people that are talking. And even as trans, two years ago, two and a half years ago, when I started to talk about trans, I was kind of like, uh, you know, war shocked. Like, I, I, I don't think trans women are women. And then I, they were, yeah, me neither. I'm like, what? Um, and so this, this is an opportunity, I think, uh, that in my opinion, Ogre is about the biggest imbecile I've ever met in my life, has no strategic anything. I mean, she has just actually put her neck out big time. And with the response that you have from this and with the response that we have with uh, uh, Trey Voices and, and people coming forward, this is going to get louder and louder and louder. So here is where my loving side comes in. These people that do have uh, ADP, they are going to be, they're, they're going to be shell-shocked when this comes out. When society figures out uh, what they've been saying yes to, uh, what they uh, have been kind of manipulated to do, they're going to be pissed well, We've off. sacrificed children to? Yes. Yeah, they are going to be so fucking pissed off at us. Pissed off. Pissed off. And then they have every right to be. But these women, and I'm sorry, I, from, I don't know, I'm not an expert on it, but it seems like absolute mental illness to me, uh, Aaron yeah. uh, Terrell. It does to me, but I don't, I'm going to step back from that. But I think that these these trans women are going to be thrown through a loop. I really do. So that's all I have to say. I'll just say, I don't think any of us have the capacity to understand the power of male sexuality. <laughs> and that's, that's what, that's what most of this is fueled by. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a, um, a story that I told, I'm writing a memoir and part of the memoir was, um, after I started taking testosterone, you guys could probably, you know, key in on this too. I started to uh, notice in the sky that there were breasts everywhere. I was, I was like, oh, and I would go, hey, look, there's a nipple and a breast right there. And she'd be like, what? No, I'm serious. It's right there. I need to call the weather people because this is a phenomenon. I've got to let people know. And I started to realize as I was you know, walking around, I'm like, oh, God, did you see that thing in the sand? That's a breast. It is. I'm serious. Look at that. But that is a breast. It just everything was like sexual to me. It was like, uh, you know, she'd go, well, uh, what do you want to have dinner tonight? I'd be like, sex. I mean, uh, pizza. Uh, and so. Cordelina looks remarkably like vaginas. I know, right? So the, <laughs> the thing about having both testosterone driven body and estrogen driven body is that I never understood before I transitioned how powerful uh, male sexuality is. I don't know what it is on top of being a biological male with testosterone, but I'll tell you my, um, my eye on situations is much, much sharper with my kids and, and anybody that I love because I realized the, <sighs> the, um, the space between um, somebody that, that actually takes sex because they want it and somebody that's consensual with males, it's a lot smaller than what I thought. It's dangerous. I remember there was a couple of months where I was like, holy shit, I need to tell people that men are really sexual. I need to tell somebody. Uh, it, was like, <laughs> it was a revelation for me. Because nobody knew <laughs> that. This is nuts. I mean, I was walking out, so I'm so fucking tired. I'm thinking about sex. Oh, God. You know um, what? You're, you're bringing up such a valid point in 
what we're talking about because we have two X chromosomes. And I've never heard this talked about when I was involved in the uh, trans health BC, because that's what it was called then, but two X chromosomes. The X chromosome carries the sex characteristics. The X chromosome responds to the testosterone. Men have one X chromosome. So you can take everything about testosterone. For trans guys, it's doubled. Okay? It explains why, why do trans guys get facial hair growth. Like, I've got double the facial hair growth of any of my brothers. And I've also got double the male hair, male pattern balding. Yeah. Um, because I have two X chromosomes. Bio biology matters. Biology matters to the discussion. Biology and you're you're what you're talking about is exactly. So our response to testosterone is, is twice that. Is twice twice the impact, and it's the sudden change impact too, because we go from levels A to almost male normal in two point five seconds. So yeah. you're you, that's a fabulous example, Scott and. Thank you for articulating yeah. it so clearly. And I just got to read what it's telling me I have to do here. You know, and so and I just wanted to make obvious that I'm parked. Because I imagine, you know, Morgane will eventually be coming after me. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to coming after my <laughs> you're frozen you're frozen Ken. Oh, I, there hope, you go. I hope someday we get to talk about stuff like that because i i think there's a lot that can be learned from from being on on separate hormones um and, and you guys know probably and i'd be surprised if none of you uh, uh disagree or if any of you disagreed with me but the way the way that you think is completely different on on you know hormones from one hormone to another um it does change things so there is a change that happens when you do take synthetic hormones. There's absolutely a change. I mean, there's a change in how you deal with problems, how you tackle things. I mean, we're talking about sex because it's funny. You know, it goes from, you know, before uh, transition, you know, as a lesbian, I was like, oh, God, let's make out for like hours and hours and hours and just light candles and just, you know, let's do massages. Let's do massages. And then after I was like, I'm done. I've been kissing for like 30 seconds. Let's get to it. Um, and so there's things that I understand now that I didn't understand before. And I find myself at times, you know, if I'm talking to a friend that's a, here, let me put my leg back up. Hold on. That's a, a woman or something. And uh, she'll go, yeah, my husband and I aren't, uh, aren't getting along or this and that. I'm like, are you giving them sex? I mean, it's the first thing that I go to. I would have never said that before, before I transitioned. The importance of it, the, the, difference you know relating as a human being from on testosterone to on estrogen is completely different i wish we could get to the point where we could talk about that so i think we we could fi fix some things we're definitely not men but don't you think differently guys i mean seriously oh yeah yeah okay. yeah i think um when i when i when that uh, testosterone impacted my sexuality quite substantially and uh 
on one hand, it gave me better insight into to how, how men behave around sex and how they approach it at the same time as, uh, so, so when I had that understanding, A, I gained a little bit of empathy, but then I also got real pissed off when I understood previous behaviors, you know, yeah. like, so it's like on one hand, it's like, okay, I get this. And then I was like, oh, wait, you know, um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a, a double-edged sword there, but we do have a very, very unique experience in that. We do, uh, we really do. Yeah, that we kind and, of see and both sides And it ties into this. what's happening, right? It ties into, to brilliant fucking blog by the way Aaron. that is i wish i would have wrote that because that was fucking awesome um but it it weaves in kind of what's happening right now right because we have biological males who do not want to have their fantasy taken away so much so and i've talked to trans women and i know you have two Aaron. i'm not gonna say who uh but you have talked to trans women i have talked to trans women who who are you know out there going you know trans women are women but you get them alone and you can get them to say yeah i know but you know it's it's like it gets them off and 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 the scary thing to me the scary thing to me is how easily human beings can be manipulated to believe anything <laughs> if you cannot tie that to what's going on right now we have men that have erotic fetishes right now that are directing politicians. They are directing pharmacology. They are directing our schools. They are directing the LGBT. We are turning into the biggest sexual or, uh, you know, organization in the world. We are promoting people are driving their pink Cadillacs, you know, of, of transgenderism and, and gay people. And we've stopped being a small, you know, a soft place to fall. We are a, a Mary Kay recruiting agency, you know, and, and why is that happening? Why is that mm -hmm. happening? I'll tell you why it's Because heterosexual men took it over? Because of men's sexuality. Period. Is why that's happening. I've heard of some of them when they, um, you know, and, they, and they've been, they fully admit that this was about sexuality. And then they start the hormones and, and get the surgery. And their, their sex drive diminishes. And then it's like, oh, well, now this doesn't really work for me because now I don't have high testosterone levels that are driving my my sex drive and then they're they're disappointed because well now you know because i did this as a sexual fantasy and and because it it really turns me on and now i don't have a sex drive because i'm on estrogen and i don't have balls anymore the interesting thing to me is, is obviously the estrogen oh, comes okay. first. So they're, they're, um, <clears throat> the, the testosterone drops significantly with the, with just the hormonal, uh, transition. Um, but, but the, but we have to remember, like, it's not, it's not a fetish. It's an orientation. So no matter how much your sexual, like your, your testosterone, you know, will ebb or flow your, your, your sexual orientation for most people is going to be, is going to stay the same. So when, uh, when the hormones, I know, I know. But again, this is the thing is, this is something that I think is, is specific to, to females. I think, I think male, male sexuality is much more, much more of a straight line, uh, much more, um, uh, inflexible. Um, but so with, um, with uh, AGP transition, they start taking hormones. And remember, most of these people are fed the lie that the, that feeling aroused to the idea of being a woman means that they are women. So there, so many of these young men who are who are indoctrinated into this believe the propaganda they're fed. They don't, especially when the other side's saying it's a, a perverted fetish. 
obviously you're going to go, no, that's not me. That's not what I have. This is, you know, I have, I have a woman's brain. I, I feel this way because I have a woman's brain. Um, so then they start taking the, uh, the cross-sex hormones. Their sex drive dramatically diminishes, but their orientation remains the same, which is themselves as a woman. So, so this, so no matter how long that, and, and a lot of them have, have a lot of dysphoria around erections, right? So they're going to actually be quite relieved at the decreased uh, sex drive. Um, and it's again, further validation that they are real women. Um, and then the, the tragic part though, is along this whole way, you know, if, if they get to the point of, of actual sexual reassignment surgery and orchiectomy at that point, it's done. The, 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 the full realization sets in unless, mm-hmm. except in certain cases where, where the AGP, and this is mostly just me reading and, and um, there's limited studies in this regard, but what seems to happen is only in the cases of severe debilitating dysphoria at the genital region does, does SRS actually help and, and relieve that. Um, and so, so they're, they're just so relieved to be rid of, rid of their dick and balls that they uh, just, it, it's not a regret, you know, because that dysphoria maintained all along. Um, but for the vast majority um, it seems that it's debilitating regret after SRS because the primary drive to have a vagina is removed with their testicles. So um, it's, it's, it's again, just, they, they are oftentimes victims of this industry as much as, well, they're certainly mostly the perpetrators of it, but also many of them are, are, are falling victim um, as well. Cause if we don't understand what autogynophilia is and we're just, you know, lobbing off testicles of young men, it's like, that's, that's criminal. Like, yeah. yeah. You guys ever, I mean, if you really sit back and well, think about uh, it, we we're, we're, we're mutilating a generation of kids so that uh, men can have some sexual fetishes. And when did, when did we always get in, involved in anybody else's sexual, Aaron, uh, Terrell, Aaron and, and uh, Kenneth, I think you guys are great, but I don't care what turns you on. I don't give a fuck. I don't. Well, and you, you said don't you wanted to be a lesbian. I don't want to see me. your fucking flag. I don't. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's the thing, Scott. Is nobody does. Yeah. Nobody wants to know those details. Yeah. Nobody wants to know the sexual component of this. And it's very easy to therefore tuck it under gender identity because that's really no palatable and mass consumable. Tuck it under. Tuck it under. No. <laughs> well, and that the I mean. In Canada, I, I, I've been watching guys talking on YouTube now um, about trans issues and trans stuff. And, like, I had to go to a gynecologist. And I had to go and I, I, I see a endocrinologist. And my endocrinologist has had long talks with me about how testosterone changes my emotional landscape oh absolutely yeah totally and does. how do what what considerations like i i'm now um i'm i i i have no gonads i'm hypothyroid and i'm diabetic so it, and um nutritional supplements make huge differences in the outcomes for diabetics uh, long-term health benefits. So he's talked to me about how do I take into account the fact that I'm on a synthetic testosterone in managing my diabetes and how does that affect 
the supplements I look at taking, the levels I look at taking and stuff like that. And I'm not going to get into the specifics of that because that's between me and my doctor. Um, but to find out that like in Canada, the uh, CPATH is seeking to eliminate um, endocrinologists from the whole process. And the effects that decision is having on people going, I don't know, you know, how does, how, how do I decide what supplements to take? Cause I'm on testosterone. How do I decide what supplements to take? Cause I'm on estrogen. I don't know. And it's like, wow. Oh yeah. And you know, talking the same thing, um, being in a, estrogen enriched environment how i access sexual release is very different from how i access or experience sexual release in a testosterone enriched environment it's totally changed the whole pathway to and the experience of um and yeah my doctor talk to you know when i asked him about it he explained it to me like this is how you know this is how the this hormone and this hormone affect your brain and if you want to find out more go to these areas mm-hmm. of um male sexuality testosterone female sexuality estrogen and you can you know find out a little bit about what's known about that but you know i also think that um we kind of cling to the idea that biology is wrong I think we all kind of went through that. I remember when I started to transition, it felt really good for me to, to think that it wasn't a choice I had to make, that it was just, I was writing a wrong, I was born in the wrong body. And, and so it was, it was easier to take that, that uh, testosterone, right? And um, of course it forces everybody, the insurance and the governments to pay for it. I think it's kind of a relief. It's almost like, hey, you know what? Whew, so I, I got a prescription, we're gonna be good uh, kind of a thing. And so- when you get, and you guys probably have gone through this too, is when you get misgendered from your whatever, whatever. I mean, if somebody calls you she or, or, or Kenneth or, or Aaron, it doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm a terrible actress. Uh, you know, it makes me feel stupid. Um, and I don't like that feeling. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I was a little testy. But then I started to think, you know, that's not fair. But it hurts my feelings. And I had something happen to me at work. Um, I was talking to a, a, a client. He's a fucking dick. I hate him. He's a dick. Um, but he's one of my customers. Um, and so I can't tell him that, that he's a fucking dick. Uh, but anyways, I was on the phone with him and um, he was trying to get something or trying to out talk me or whatever. And I said, no. And he goes, listen, you fucking faggot. And I went, my voice, you know, I'm a trans and it hurt my feelings. He thinks I'm a faggot. Uh, which is, you know, who cares, but it's just like, you know, the, it, it, it's in the core, like what's okay. I'm not doing, I'm not doing man good enough or, you know, or, or whatever. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but it hurt my feelings. But instead of coming back and telling him he's a dick, I went, well, Tom, what makes you think that I want to help you more now because of that, you asshole? I said, you know, we got to get this figured out. And he started laughing and of course we went on. That's another thing that men do is they just like get over that kind of stuff, but it hurt my feelings. You know, it really did hurt my feelings. I didn't let him know it. You know, I kind of laughed it off like I did. And and, and uh, he's a jerk. We went on with it. And, you know, I sold him. But um, it hurt my feelings. So it, it's interesting that 
that what we're doing to kids and, and, and what we're selling has to do with not hurting people's feelings and making sure that men have their sexual desires met. Mm-hmm. That's why we're that's why we're at the place that we're at right now. I wonder it's too how much of it going. This is so brave. This this four year old right here, yeah, trans, yeah, actually a girl. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, the mom's got a book right there. Yeah, it's uh, two thousand dollars. You can buy a book though. Yep, that's what's happening. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of it for like for those with AGP. Like, I mean, a do they know that that's what's going on for them? So I mean, most I, I mean, and most don't, right? And because no. that's not what they're being told anymore. They right. that was part of the normal part of the the trans care landscape twenty years ago. Um, yeah. but it's not anymore. It ha- like I I I was when I transitioned, I was right at the very beginning of when all that changed. So Kenneth, you probably were too. Um, during that transition, right? Where, where a decision was made that we're going to change direction and we're going to do this differently. Um, so what, regardless of what type of gender dysphoria we have, whether it's the homosexual t- subtype or EGP, I mean, none of us are being told that's, that's what's going on for us. So I think for a lot of these kids, it's probably a very confusing experience. It's probably a very, like, if it, it let's say a, a, it's emerging in a 13 year old or like let's not always characterize this as as creepy men right middle-aged creepy men in women's bathrooms i mean sometimes these are children you know that are confused they're scared they don't know what's going on for them um i imagine there's a lot of shame around that too and what kid what 13 year old or i mean what middle-aged man for for that matter who wants to have a conversation with their doctor about Hey, I'm getting erections when I think of myself as having a vagina. Like I imagine that's a very humiliating conversation to have. So I don't want to always characterize it as you're just, you know, you're just some pervert that, you know, I I think I want to try to have empathy too. As Ray Blanchard says, no man would choose this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And also it's, it's a, it's, it's, if you want to have that kind of fantasy, that's cool. Have it in your bedroom. I don't care if you're you into feet or, you know, brushing somebody's hair or I don't care, you know, massaging a pinky really turns you on. Go for it. I just don't want to know about it. And I don't want it to uh, affect my children. And I don't want you talking about it in schools. And I don't want you medically transitioning a generation of kids. I want to jump in there because because I think it's important to know that it's not it's not a fetish as much as it is. Uh, an orientation. So, so I think in a, a lot of times when people talk about AGP, it sounds very much like how people talked about homosexuality 50 years ago. It's like, you know, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. Don't teach my kids about it. And that's how, d- 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 you know, delinquent behavior happens in these, um, uh, not delinquent, but you know, like bad behavior is facilitated when, when we, when we say this is, this is just a dirty private thing. Some you know, rare adults do don't tell anybody about it. Um, yeah. What I want to do is is talk about how how actually very common autogynephilia is, and how there sh- it shouldn't be shamed, but it one hundred percent should not be validated as real womanhood. Like we need to know what it is, you know, and we need to be empathetic to those because again, again, it's it is a sexual orientation, and and no one just like nobody chooses to be gay. Nobody chooses to have autogynephilia. It's actually so much more uh, inconvenient and so much more stigmatized and, and it causes oftentimes severe dysphoria. Um, so, 
so I think it's important to, to, to really recognize that this isn't just like some, it's not the same as like, you know, you know, jerking off the touch and show toes or whatever. It's, it's very, it is inverted heterosexuality and most people with it have no idea that's what they have. They think they they have a woman's brain, which is what society at large is telling them right now. So that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, I can agree with that. Um, but there is a uh, fine line, right? There, there's a fine line. In, yeah. In, uh, yeah. When it, when it infringes on women's space is, is that, well, there's, yeah. there's a lot of lines, but that's the big when, it's a, when it's being sold. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. and I'm I'm a firm, 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 firm believer. I got uh, I got something on. I tweeted out basically. Somebody said something about the LGBT, and it's true. In my house, I've blocked the LGBTQ from all devices. You can't you can't get on LGBTQ. They've gone too far. They've stepped over the boundaries. They have gone from you know soft place to fall to you know they're they're out recruiting, uh, and I don't want that. And and I don't and I understand what you're saying, Aaron, about AGP. I, I get that. But it ha- it's none of anybody's business. Don't talk to my kids about it. Don't act like it's some kind of celebration. Like there's some kind of celebration for, uh, you know, being gay or, or having this or having that. It's, you know what? It is what it is. It's a soft place to fall. You deserve all the rights. I deserve all the rights of everybody else. But don't try to validate yourself by talking everybody else into it. Uh, don't go after kids. And stop talking about sexuality in schools. Stop it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that happened to one of my kids, you, I think you guys know me well enough. I'd be on the fucking news. They'd be like trans man walks into school and beats up teacher. for talking about, you know, promoting queer life or whatever. And, and I'm a lesbian that transitioned, you know, it's, it's, we've crossed boundaries. So I get, I get what you're saying, Aaron, but my question is this, how do we create some kind of balance? And I say this to everything that's an ideology or something that cannot be proved. I mean, I say that to religion. How can we create a fine line of, you know, delusional thinking, you know, that there's a gray man in the sky to allowing them to do that. And it goes over on this side. So where's where's the line? Where's the line? Well, I, well one of I the like, lines. Go I'll, ahead. Kenneth. Yeah, I, I, I like what I'm seeing on Twitter and I don't know where it originated, but it's uh, the idea that real inclusion is celebrating boys and girls for being boys and girls, however they wish to express that. But it's celebrating a boy being a boy, masculine, feminine, somewhere in between, moving between the two. But he's a boy, and we're celebrating his boyhood, however he wishes to take that into his manhood. And the girl, well, we celebrate her girlhood, uh, you know, butch girl, femme girl, halfway in between girl. I'm going to wear a flannel shirt and a pink skirt, you know, however she wants to be that. But let's celebrate girls and boys for being girls and boys. Um, And the danger of that narrative is then... um, would medical transitioning in 15 years even be necessary if we celebrated children for being children and allowed them the space to just be? Mm-hmm. I hope you still have well, your thought, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah, yeah. one, one of the yeah, one of the lines, you know, just going back to what Scott was saying about you know, there's there's these lines. One of the lines it, that cons- that I've been thinking about is, you know, we want we don't want to shame 
AGP in itself, right? That I mean, because mm-hmm. people say, well, by talking about these different diagnostic categories that we're pathologizing this and um, and that's not my intent. So by drawing attention to this, it's just because I think infor- there's power in information. Like we can solve problems with information. And so it's not that yes. I, w- so the line for me is that AGP in itself, I think we need to destigmatize if we want people to step forward and say, Hey, I have this, let's problem solve. Then we can't shame them. Right. Because shame, shame drives things underground. So we need, so we want, we want people to be able to, to be able to talk openly and, and accept, okay, I've got AGP to recognize that so that we can problem solve because the, the, the problem is we don't want, don't include um, people who haven't consented in your sexual fantasy because that's gross. Don't don't invade private spaces without consent because that's gross. So so it's it's the way that that AGP is being played out in society because we haven't had a, a really honest and and responsible conversation about it that these problems are having. So so it's the fine line is how do you call out problematic behaviors and harmful behaviors and how this is playing out in society without driving AGP in itself, you know, into the back into the, into the closet in a, in a shameful kind of way. Cause that's not helpful either. Education. We, we do it by the, the, the problem is, is I think um, uh, a lot of, I think uh, male default is being quite, quite secretive about, about sex and sex. It's not something I've totally worked out yet, um, but but we we need to understand that a, that an autogynophile is is just a it's a heterosexual male with an inverted heterosexual with inverted heterosexuality, right? And the the that so their specific form of heterosexuality is right now either stigmatized vehemently as a perversion and a fetish. So if you're a little if you're a if you're a you know early teenage boy who has this this orientation and you're hearing um, either you're a perverted um, fetishist who is going to basically lurk on women in the changing rooms, or you're a, a real beautiful woman, you know, the most marginalized and also most incredible and glamorous of all women. Um, of course, any boy is going to choose, you know, the, the, the latter. Um, the same thing though is happening with adults who are approaching this because you know you got a lot of right now we've got a lot of men in their 40s coming out as women as as lesbians um, because they they have they have kept this this secret this deep secret all their lives and now suddenly that deep shameful secret that they already always had means that they're just a trans woman they're a beautiful trans woman and not just that they're no longer a dangerous heterosexual usually white man they are they are a trans lesbian and how beautiful and when wonderful is that? Um, and suddenly they, they have all this, all this external validation for something which was a deep, dark secret all their life, you know? Um, and the only way the problem is, is I'm also learning is that men, regardless of whether or not they identify as women or not, are not at all comfortable with talking about uh, publicly about sexuality. Um, not, not, that's not a, a rule by and large, but generally speaking, um, and certainly autogynophiles are not, obviously we've got, we've got plenty on our side who are, who are very much open about what they have and what that means. Um, but by and large, there's going to be so much pushback about what we're trying to do, educating and throwing the light on this, um, that it's, it's going to get bad because people are going Mm -hmm. to, you know, fight for their lives to be women. 
like I don't mean literally um, like there's going to be like battles, yeah. like physical battles, but you know what I mean? Like, like th- this is not going to be given up. Like it's a little, it's a little bit like the, like the fight that those of us with teenage kids, like who are into video games and stuff. How do you, how do you, how does reality compete with the wonderful world of video games where, you know, it's colorful yeah. and it's, it's, you know, these graphics and their the reward system is so immediate and the immediate gratification of that how does reality become appealing to somebody who what am i trying to say it, it's it's a hard sell right when when the fantasy is so much more exciting and cooler and a, an easier sell than reality is yeah yeah, but it's just in both cases, it's so damaging to to mental health. Like, um, like I, I think I think a slow detox is the only answer. Just like with any, uh, they're they're both really uh, you know AGP or getting that external external validation as a woman, and like the, the video game fantasy world, they're both um, they're kind of addictive behaviors, and like. Because again, that that reward system, I imagine. Um, I, I, I guess the only answer I can come up with is a very slow, subtle detoxification uh, from that, um, uh, rather than a, a cold turkey. But I, what that what that means in regards to actual um, autogynephilia, I, I I'm spitballing here. Sorry, anybody else well, pick up the baton? <laughs> you know what? There there there's a point at which um, women's voices need to be heard. I was at the CPAP conference. Sorry. No, no, no. Women's voices. I mean, yeah. me. No, I oh, am. Oh, okay. I am a trans man, and by definition, trans men are women, right? Yeah. Sorry, I, I threw in a, a joke there, yeah. interjectedly. My, he my was doing a funny. I got it. I got it totally, and it's okay. it's a great it's it's a great point of clarification. So, in a way, thank you. Um, I was at the CPATH conference held in Vancouver a couple years back, and repeatedly repeatedly at that conference they were like we're starting this committee on this issue and um we've already got two f to m's so for the other 10 positions we're gonna amplify women's voices okay uh uh we're starting this special committee on issue b and we've got one f to m so for the other five positions we're seeking to amplify women's voices so Trans men's voices, women, are being silenced in the professional organization. CPATH, who's supposed to be the big umbrella um, on these issues, were being silenced at that level. And um, I don't even know now if they let me go to another conference. <laughs> Like if there was another CPATH conference in Canada and they saw my name there, I don't even know that they'd let me attend because of, you know, speaking the un- unutterable um, publicly, right? You're, you're so doing what Aaron, we're all doing, which is what is it, advocating to harm the LGBT community? <laughs> That's yeah, they're doing that all on their own. You know, it's, it's interesting that it, there seems to be a, a double standard, right? There's, I think the most hilarious thing I've made a, a conscious decision this week, every trans woman, uh, Morgan, anybody that says something to me, I just snap back, call them assholes, dipshits, whatever. You know, I call them names. I've been doing everything that they've been doing to women for years now. And all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a misogynist asshole. Well, you know what? I kind of am acting like one. I'm acting like you. I'm mirroring. Mm. I'm mirroring what you guys have done to women. So, 
what I don't understand is if they want to be women so fucking bad, then start acting like it. You know, start acting like it. And to to basically say the way that I've been, you know, reacting to them, that's exactly how you have treated women that are trying to protect their children. This is how you've been treating them. And all of a sudden I'm the bully. How does that happen? You know, how is it that you do it and you're not a bully? You know, Maureen Oak is a perfect example. She's never said a fucking thing that makes any sense. You cannot pin that, you know, Morgan into a, a, are you a man or a woman? Oh, you're a woman. Okay. How did that happen? When did that happen? And uh, tell me what did it? What medication did it? What surgery did it? What changed by all? She won't talk about that. At anything. And anytime you say anything to her, the first thing she does is bigot, transphobe. And it's like, okay, I'm done. My work's done. My work's done. That's um, how this has been propagated so long is that, is, is that when, you, when you start to show, shed light, which is what we're all trying to do, shed light on, on the various types of dysphoria and trans, like what leads somebody to, to, to a trans identification. Um, it, when, you shed, when you start to kind of pick at what that is, it's immediately shut down as work of transphobic bigots. Only a transphobic bigot would ask questions about what causes dysphoria. Um, why is that? Because we're trying to hide AGP under this, you know? Um, so it's, it, it's the same from all of them. It looks, again, except, you know, a, a, yeah, a select wonderful few. It's, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing. I'm, I, I get yeah. that from a, from a empathy standpoint. Being a male and being turned on by the idea of being a woman, having sex with a woman. Hold on, let me catch up. Okay, I'm there. Um, that's got to be embarrassing. You know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that that I feel more comfortable, um, you know, as a, as a male. My personality is like all male. Could you imagine what I would have been like if I was born, if I had the same personality and I was born a male? I mean, I'd have been the biggest asshole in the entire world. I mean, I misogynistic. I would have been you wouldn't be in touch me. I would be horrible. Um, but it's our experiences, right, that, that make us who we are. So it's it's nuts to me after reading that blog. Aaron, and I usually don't read things all together. I read a whole bunch on uh, medical transition when I was, you know, trying to save my life. But other than that, I have, you know, the, the staying pair of a, a fucking gnat. So I start reading stuff and I'm like, oh, yes, I-. Well, I read that whole thing a couple of times because it was just like, ping, 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 ping. I get it now. I get it now. Um, so anyways, I have no idea what I was talking about. Anyways, I really no medical transition don't- kids. Okay. You know, because I, because, I mean, Kenneth, you, you can probably speak to this even more than I could because you entered into this before I did, but I do think because I remember that, that transition happening, not, not my transition, but our transition and thinking about this, I remember that happening because I was there. And I remember reading some of the, um, you know, because we've talked about this before that Vancouver is quite a hot spot for this stuff. And some really, actually some really good work in trans care was happening in Vancouver, you know, 20 years ago, roughly. Um, and I was see, I knew some of those clinicians, fantastic people. Um, I still ha- have great things to say about the physician that, that saw me and I will, I will never go after her because it's not, it's not her fault that, she, you know, it's, the whole system decided to go in this this direction, right? So it, it you can't point at any individual exactly. clinician and say, "Well, you're you're at fault for this," and they meant to do the right thing. I agree with you. And there were some really, um, really fantastic essays being published, uh, you know, uh, 
in the 90s and even into the early 2000s. Um, really great psychiatrist um, in Vancouver wrote a paper about uh, a couple of case studies. And, and one of the case studies was somebody with, with AGP and, and talking about, you know, um, working with that individual through psychotherapy and how that individual was able to integrate, you know, AGP into an identity for themselves that was healthy. And, and I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, that individual didn't end up taking on a trans identity and didn't transition. Um, so this was part of that work or, or essays for, again, from that same clinic um, talking about how the, the, how gender dysphoria can, can kind of fracture our, our identities. It can be quite disintegrating for us emotionally and psychologically and, and talking about the therapeutic work they were doing to help people integrate psychologically again. So, I mean, really, really smart things coming out of, um, Vancouver around that that time and um, and I think I think that's why we weren't seeing all these societal problems because people were really well supported and now we call that gatekeeping and I think that's such a a, a ludicrous way of of thinking about it because it's not just about no 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 you can't be who you want to be it's about supporting us psychologically through that process so that even if we do end up transitioning medically we're doing it in the healthiest way possible. And that I feel like is completely missing from the system. Now, a, we're not being given information to help make sense of our experience and we're not being well supported to make that transition in a way that we can actually function well in the society respectfully. And I also like, that's been my frustration is this isn't a sexual fetish for me. I just want to get on with my life and integrate into society and do well in society value my community and um there was no support for that like to re-socialize and to navigate all the weirdness of this we're kind of left on our own to do all of that and and with maybe some peer support but ever it's like the blind leading the blind we're all fumbling through this and and it's painful and confusing and so where is the support for all of that and and so my motivation for talking about this, this isn't for me, this isn't for my health. I mean, this is, I would rather not have the stress of all of this and just get on with my life as I have been doing for the last 15 years. But what about the kids? Like I'm concerned about the outcome for these young people coming through our offices at, at a very high rate and um, who aren't being well supported. They're not being given evidence-based information about what's going on for them. They're not being helped psychologically to navigate that. And, and then when they encounter weirdness out there in their lives, as they try to fumble their way through this, they're not being well supported. And yes, so yes. I don't, Good. it's easy to kind of point at, at, at the trans people that are, that are, aren't doing well and are behaving inappropriately and saying, you know, you're an asshole, but, but where was the support for them? to do that well you're absolutely right but here's the thing those are the only people that the media is talking to that's yes. the only people i mean think about this morgan who who outed who where you worked uh is trying to and has the media at attention has been on how many different things you know we we have no media attention none but we're the majority of trans we're the majority yes. and here's the fact Here's the fact. When society figures out what's happening, because I do think, I think it was you, uh, Aaron Terrell, that said this, that people are, are, are not 
being malicious. Society is not being malicious. I don't think the medical industry, most of them are not being malicious. I think that they think that they're being loving and doing something right. Mm -hmm. I do. And so when somebody realizes that they have been used or manipulated and that using and manipulating is tying to an innocent part of our society, which is our children, you've got to be crazy if you don't think people are going to fucking hate us. They're going to hate us. And we have got to stand up as trans people, let people know that this crazy motherfucker does not represent us. We have to. Yes. Yes. The majority. I, I, I am not represented by a trans woman who goes into a woman's bathroom digs through the garbage can for used sanitary products and masturbates in the bathroom when she puts one of those used sanitary products in her underpants. That does not represent me, and I've seen that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not why I adopted a masculinized social gender presentation, you know? And I think that, like you said, for the vast majority of the population of people who experience gender dysphoria, transition or don't transition, those people do not represent us. And um, they should not be, they are, that is presently the population, AGP, that is driving advocacy, that is presently the population who are, whose voices are being amplified in Canada by the, the organization of professionals that is speaking to be advocates, because that is the policy of CPATH in Canada. We are amplifying women's voices. They invite trans men to please remain silent on the issue because we already have one or two of you here and we're amplifying women's voices. So yes, it's, and you know, how you get to, the path you take to get to where you are matters, right? I'm a professional truck driver. So when I had my truck driving school, they asked us on the first day of school to share a little bit, like we all got five minutes, our background on what got us to be in here to take the class so you could get your class one license. Um, and I, my background was in university, college, um, criminology, psychology, my studying. So I didn't have any experience with driving truck. So during the four weeks of class, they focused on teaching me a lot about the mechanics of driving a truck. This is the engine connected to the engine is the starter. This is where you check the oil. This is where you check the antifreeze. This is where the air conditioner is. Uh, these are the belts that drive the engine. These pulleys connect to this. These pulleys connect to that. You got to check this. Um, so they made sure I had a really firm grasp of the mechanics of what would become my profession. Right? So the background matter. Other guys, we had a guy um, there who um, was a uh, small car mechanic. He didn't have... 
formal training as a mechanic, but he'd worked as a technician repairing small cars in his uncle's or whatever shop. So they didn't spend a lot of time with him on, um, you know, what is an engine? What is a brake? What is a, you know, because he had all that background information already. So they spent time with him on a whole bunch of other parts about truck driving. So how you get to where you are matters. And it's, it's, it's relevant to good health care to ask. And in the affirmations model, they don't ask, you know, and um, I was in one of the, um, one of the talks at the CPAP conference and the uh, doctor who was talking said, quote, I find that the younger trans people who are coming with me, coming to me for, for, to be started on hormones have already Googled all this. Because <laughs> right? nice. we know how good of a source Google and chat groups and YouTube is for medical information. Well, Reddit is the leading organization for medical studies for transgender people. I don't know if you know that, uh, <laughs> no, but no. if you need to know anything, I'm um, anything about transgender health or transgenderism or queer theory or anything. I mean, they have a new, you know, it's Reddit medical studies. Fuck you. We're right. You got to look it up. It's, it's a great site. Okay. Yeah. We should put the link down here if you can, Aaron, yeah. for that. I think that'd be great for be people. Do you to be know able how many people have to... replied with like a Reddit things that I've asked? It is hilarious. <laughs> There's got to be a skit there somewhere. I mean, it's just like, no, Reddit's not a, no, Reddit's not a, it's not a medical. It, no, <laughs> no. And then they send me studies that are like, okay, this study. I'm like, oh, you mean that one that was retracted at this date at that time? Okay. No, oh, that one too. You got another one? No, Reddit doesn't count. <laughs> but society's not hearing any of this. I mean, no. it's, it's oh. nuts. They think Reddit said so. Oh, so Reddit is not a good source. No. Oh, yeah, I missed that. <laughs> I missed the sarcasm. Oh, that's where people are going to get the affirmations stuff that they're everybody's going on. Yeah, the ask Reddit forums. Just go on Reddit and ask questions. You're going to get the best quality information possible. I've gotten kicked off of Reddit. The answer is always oh, you're definitely trans. Times now. Yeah, oh, times. yeah. Because, um, you know, the peer support stuff that I was able to that I, I was required to access to <laughs> so you get your X chromosome from your mother and he, he was talking to FTAMS and it was so you get your X chromosome from your mother and um, if you're wanting to know what genetics is going to go on regarding your transition, then you look at your maternal line and you check out the genetics on that side. And that's how you're going to know what's going to happen with your body regarding testosterone. Hmm. So that was the peer support counseling we were getting. There was no, uh, you're a trans man. So you have two X chromosomes, you know, like yeah, yeah all this confusion can be taken away by an afternoon on reddit (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And you know what? And that whole line that we've been getting, you know, in a little bit of the backlash from this is, well, AGP was long debunked and it's not scientific. Well, actually, the, the quality of research that was being done by the, by the psychologists and, and ongoing, uh, they're, they're still around, um, very, very sophisticated, high quality psychological studies. So, you know, the idea that this isn't in any way scientific is is totally total BS. I mean, those studies are there. There's nothing to replace it anyway. Exactly. So when something is when you when you're thinking like a clinician or a scientist, something isn't debunked unless there is new evidence that disproves the old evidence. And no one has ever disproved Blanchard's or come up research. with any alternative. Of, it's, it's other than just calling everything gender identity. It's it's just it's just well, it's not debunked if you just push it under the rug and look at this rug, this beautiful gender identity this, rug is what. Yeah. Isn't it nuts how naive everybody is being? I mean, it, it, it's actually it, it's nuts. I mean, take take WPATH, right? I mean, we've talked about this before, Aaron. Uh, the the guide for transgender health that has never held up in a court of law anywhere, anywhere. Uh, it's never, it's never held up. Oh yeah, that doesn't work. But that's the one that when kids take their, their, uh, parents take these kids in, they want to kill themselves. And, you know, they, they got all the information on Reddit. So they're very well informed on everything. Um, you know, the doctor goes, oh no, oh no, no, no. Puberty blockers are reversible. Are they? How do you know? They've never been studied for, you know, medically transitioning kids. I don't know that, but I, I can give you a whole handful of, you know, 20 year olds that have size of lungs of a 12-year-old because they pause puberty. They're having a hard time. You might want to talk to them. Uh, they're throwing this down and go, yes, this is transgender health. This, but they're not telling them the truth. Uh, this won't hold up in court. You're going to sign a little piece of paper right here. And basically what it says is we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Uh, and if your child gets hurt, sorry. Uh, okay, so go ahead and sign right there. Uh, do you have your insurance card? Or, you know, whatever. And, and that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. That there is... There's no studies. We have no clue what's going to happen to these kids. Not one. And people have been saying like, you know, again, like the backlash that we sometimes get when we talk about this stuff is, well, WPATH, WPATH says this, WPATH says this. I mean, they're the experts and this is based on science. And, but I don't know if you noticed, but WPATH, they're about to publish um, their next uh, version. So version eight. And so they've now created a part of their website to start on, you know, unrolling that and, and give us some sneak peeks and stuff. And they made a statement on there that said this version of the WPATH standards of care is the first time, first version ever to use an evidence-based approach. Bullshit. Well, no, that's got to be blowing people's minds. And if anybody and actually approaches we've that. Been, we've been told time and time again you're being transphobic assholes by saying yeah. that WPATH isn't scientific. Well, they just yeah. announced to the entire world that this is the first time that they've used an evidence-based approach and are really doing a, a, what they call a systematic review of the evidence. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty, I'm, so, I'm actually surprised that they admit that. So, so is I, like how, how yes, do you, what you just said is the previous seven, seven installments. We were kidding. Yeah, no. it was just swinging from the hip all along. Um, it was expert opinion is, is, is what it was based on. Because if you look at, at the references at the back of the version 7, most, I mean, it's, it's pages of it, but most of it is, um, is position statements and expert opinion by WPATH members that was published in WPATH's own journal. Is right. what most of the things in the reference are. 
See, I mm-hmm. think that that the, one of the ways that this is going to get stopped is people need to get sued. And I think the first people that need to be sued, I, I, honestly, I think it's WPATH all the way through and through and through and through and through, through and through. I mean, if parents knew, okay, parents pretend that you are in a doctor's office and I'm the doctor. And I just threw down WPATH and go, okay, this is WPATH. It's, tra- it's transgender healthcare. Um, it's full of at doctor's discretions. Uh, we do not have any studies on puberty blockers. We have no idea of long-term studies on uh, synthetic hormones. Um, we do know that there's complications with kids, you know, getting osteo early onset osteoporosis. We're not going to talk about that because we haven't done a study and we don't fucking know. Okay. So anyways, um, what, here's what we're going to do. Your child that thinks that they're the opposite sex and that uh, wants to commit suicide, we are going to in- inject them with massive cross sex hormones to somebody that already is suicidal. And that's, you know, it's fun, fun stuff. Um, and in the end guys, uh, the, all the studies that said that it helped mental illness for kids all been retracted or taken away. But, uh, with that being said, we also don't know what the fuck is going to happen to your child's health in the future. We don't have a fucking clue. Uh, but we're going to have you sign this right here because your kid's going to commit suicide if you don't do mass cross hormones. So sign right there. That's what they need to tell parents because that is the truth. Do you know where that? Yeah, that that whole like claim that you know you got to medicalize these kids or they're going to commit suicide. Do you you know like what that's based on? Where did that come from? There's nothing. There's no study. None. Not one. Not uno. No. 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 The only study on on suicide. Now they talk about. They talk about. There's studies like of, of kids that say that they're transgender and, you know, this, they say that they're suicidal. They say that they're this, um, but there's never been any follow-up at all. And the way that it is, is projected. I mean, it, it reminds me of that court hearing. And I think I've said it before in South Dakota, where this reverend stood up and said that, you know, if you don't allow these kids to medically transition, they're going to kill themselves banged on the desk. You know, you're going to carry the coffins of these transgender kids kind of a thing. And I remember sitting back going, God, uh, even though I know I, <laughs> I don't want to carry a coffin. I mean, I was after that, that got to me so bad that I researched in South Dakota. There wasn't, there's never been a suicide of a child that was not able to medically train. Not one, not one, nothing to stand, nothing, nothing at all. But we do have a 30 year study that tells us that, you know, medical transition you know, the highest suicidal ideation is after medical transition, seven to 10 years, when you get to that, you know, infamous Aaron, you know, stage where you're like, okay, I've, I've, I've got everything. I got the bottom, I got the synthetic hormones, I got the name change, I got the top, I got the this, I got the that, I got the this. And then you look in the mirror and go, well, this is a fucking thing. You know, happiness is an inside job. And that's when you get suicidal, really suicidal at that time. And you either come to grips with it and embrace it and, you know, move on with it. But it's not before transition. Yeah, that's not talked about in the community much. I mean, I think people, I think, I think you're right that most of us do at some point bottom out or peak or whatever, whatever word you want to use for that. I think it happens to most, if not all of us at some point. And we suffer through that in silence because we don't know anyone else is going through that. And there's no support for that because, um, anyone that serves the trans community is, 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 you know, looking at that from the affirmation 
model and approach and, and and now that's the only legal way that they can do the work so where is the help when we kind of bottom out and that and that bubble bursts and this ideology unravels for us um yeah where is the help for that because we're not even allowed to talk to each other about that because and, and so i think everyone experiences that thinking well that's just me that that's happening to not realizing it's actually happening at different stages in you know for people but it, it at some point it happens to all of us you know, that brings up something that um, I just came into my mind. I remember uh, about a month before I had my phallioplasty, I was uh, seeing a therapist uh, with my wife at the time. And um, I remember I told her, I said, I'm, ha I'm having a hard time with medical transitioning. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of at that place where I'm having a hard time. And I'll never forget what she said. It's to this day, I'm astounded. I mean, I'm in a different place. I think I would call her on it now, but she goes, well, you know what, Scott, you, you're such an attractive man and you've got so much karma or whatever, you know, you're mad. You just make an absolutely just awesome man. So I don't understand why you're having a problem. And I told her, I didn't know if I wanted to have a phallioplasty uh, because there's not much information on it, but I was having second thoughts on it. And she goes, well, what's six months going to change? You already have the time off from work. What's, what's two years going to change? You're going to get it anyways. You're going to have to, you're a man kind of a thing. And looking back at that now, that pisses me off. It pisses me off that I actually probably spent in total with Dr. Crane about four minutes. And that every question that I had in that four minutes was, Oh yeah, it's no big deal. No big deal. Um, and I, I remember that there was a, there was a plastic surgeon that was that, that was working there, and my wife was obsessed with making sure that my chin didn't look too feminine uh, because I had a pointed chin or whatever, and she wanted to get like a chin implant or something. And so the other uh, I didn't do it by the way, but the other uh, surgeon walked in that office Crane and said, "You're getting a phalloplasty," and I go, "Yeah," but Crane said that I could do this at the same time. And this guy looked at Crane, and I should have just said at that moment. Okay, something's wrong. Because I saw in that surgeon's eyes, like, you dumb motherfucker. This is one of the hardest surgeries with brain surgery, with, you know, heart. I mean, this is a terrible, hard, core, high complication surgery. And you're wanting me to come in and do a chin implant for you at the same time? Are you fucking nuts? That's what his eyes said to me. And I knew that when I walked out. But then... Every time I asked a question, he always was like, no big deal, no big deal, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. You just got to, you have, you have to, you know, get away from Reddit. <laughs> there has to be information out there. And there's not, there's not. So when you have a problem, uh, when you get the seven to 10 year, when you look and go, okay, happiness is an inside job. And look what I've done to my body. It hasn't helped anything. Um, of course, you're suicidal at that point. But nobody's mm -hmm. holding anybody accountable. Nobody's holding uh, you know, that therapist accountable, that therapist that talks to me should be held accountable. Dr. Crane should be held accountable. Everybody should be held accountable, but they're not. And they're not because transgender health is experimental and people can't wrap their hands around it. They think that attorneys are coming. Attorneys are not coming. They can't come because nobody's doing studies about it. There is no proof on anything. It's airy. You know, and, and until a law firm comes along that has integrity that says, you know what, we're going to create a baseline for care. We're going to spend $10 million because you know what, kids are worth it. Once they yeah. do that, 
and they cannot do those little signatures anymore. Hey, by the way, Trans Health is uh, experimental sinus because you can't do a fucking thing if I mess up. It's not going to stop. Yeah. Going back to the like the the suicide uh, the the study, I think okay, so. We know that gender dysphoria usually has has a lot of other comorbidities, primarily depression and anxiety. What I've kind of kind of assumed for quite a few years now with the whole trans suicide narrative is that for a lot of people with chronic mental health issues, dysphoria and the notion of transition, the notion of a fresh life, the notion of of a blank slate um, it would be incredibly appealing. So like if you, if you suffer from chronic depression and then, and then you learn about dysphoria, it's like, this, this is a do over. I can do this thing. I can transition. And then, and then if that transition isn't accessible for whatever reason, which used to be, you know, most often the case back in the day, um, I, I think when, when people, it's very easy to put for somebody to put all their eggs in trans basket. And if that fails, um, then, then this, already very mentally um, uh, suffering person goes that that final option um, which mm-hmm. is which is terrible and I think I think activists have used that that narrative to the trans advantage when I think a lot of what's going on is is you know already uh, people who are who are suffering seek trans as a solution obviously it's not the solution and so, so I think I think those numbers are being co-opted in a very cruel um, way. Yeah, there was a psychiatrist years yes. ago that said to me, you know, you could pretty much throw out the DSM and just call it all anxiety, because he said that at the root cause of most psychological problems is distress, and it, but we, it manifests in different ways. We attach it to different things, and find different ways of of trying to cope with it, and. Um, you know, what, what you see it, it, when people are recovering from various things, whether it's addiction or whatever else, when you take away that thing that they've been using to cope with their distress, it brings up that distress. And some people make the mistake of thinking, well, see, I did need that thing because without that thing, now I feel bad. Rather than seeing that that thing was serving a purpose of covering over whatever it was that was going on for you that that was causing that that distress. And I think that's what we're what we're seeing when we're talking very honestly about the trans experience. We're we're kind of partially removing, we're bursting that bubble for people, right? Or we're threatening to burst that bubble for people. So what they're left with is the distress underneath that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful example, Aaron. Um when I went to Aurora Treatment Center for Women the first time, uh, the first weekend I was invited to leave. I was discharged because of my suicidal ideations, because they're like, your suicidal ideology is so high, you're causing distress to the other women. So we need to discharge you. And if we could, if we had any legal grounds whatsoever, we'd have you pink slipped. You are that suicidal. But you know the language well enough not to say the things that we need to hear to have you committed against your will. So we're discharging you, but we're telling you, you are in danger. So what we can legally do is give you this information. 
this is what a support recovery house is for women. This is what you need to get a grip on in order to get admitted into one. And we're giving this information to your drug and alcohol counselor. You have an emergency appointment tomorrow morning to go in and see your drug and alcohol counselor. And this is what we're recommending for you. And that no saved my life. And that no also made it so that the women that I was sharing a room with in a drug and alcohol center had a better experience of their treatment. You know, so saying no to someone who's suicidal can save their life. You know, yes, 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 yes. To is not eventually somebody's going to say no. And I guess that's what we're talking about here at, at a point is um, AGPs who are hearing a no are they, they have no they have no um, foundation to stand on when that no happens and the structure around them of their constructed femininity collapses because somebody calls them male or masculine or whatever. So no is therapeutic, right? And the, in the, in the affirmations model, yes is the only therapeutic option, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very dangerous model. Um, when COVID started, I was having a really hard time with coping. Uh, being a truck driver is very isolating. And suddenly, they closed down the restaurants. Um, in BC, they, they closed down the convenience stores. So a lot of the truck stops closed down. And they closed down the rest areas as unnecessary. So there was a week in British Columbia where truck drivers were having a hard time finding a place to go to the bathroom because they closed everything down. <laughs> um, but I reached out to a um, um, healthcare here in Saskatchewan. So I was hooked up with a uh, um, phone call conversation and I, she was talking to me about reaching out to like Zoom and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, well, I have a hard time with stuff like that. It's related to the sexual abuse that went on when I was a child and we were filmed and made to watch and stuff like that. So it, it's hard for me. And she's like, oh, that, that's a trigger. That triggers you. Oh, no, you can't do that at all. So rather than what I needed was support to help me through that process. So the affirmations model that she gave me um, wasn't helpful. So at the end of that conversation, I was like, yeah, um, okay, I've gotten the help I needed, so I really don't need to talk to you again. So I was left reaching out to friends and relatives to help me get to a place where I'm comfortable being online, seeing my picture in the corner. I'm okay with realizing that, you know, this is a recording process. I couldn't get a mo I couldn't get professional help to help me through that. I had to reach out to family and friends saying, okay, I realize I need connection. And this is how connection is happening in the COVID reality with everything locking down. Can you help me through 
getting to a place where I can connect to people again. So, yeah. It's really not fair. I mean, I don't want to create a whole mental health crisis by just, you know, bursting the bubble like for people and, and then they spiral into a mental health crisis. I mean, I don't want to be responsible for that, but it's not really fair mm-hmm. to the rest of us that we're not allowed to just talk reality about our own trans experience because, oh, you know, you're being transphobic or you're going to, you know, you're going to harm other people. I mean, how is that mentally healthy for us to, to say, well, no, you just need to like live within that bubble or shut up about your experience. Like how are we supposed to actually work this stuff out and, and develop a firm foundation under our, our feet and, a, you know, mental health in the weirdness of, of this whole trans experience. If we're not allowed to kind of talk reality about, about this, that's not fair. That's not fair to the rest of us. It's, a, it's an impossible um, uh, combination of, 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 of people and experiences that, that can't coexist. Um, to, to simultaneously because because they're they're kind of um, okay you, you going back you said that um, there was that joke that you could just throw out the entire DSM and call it anxiety like you and I were talking about the fact that that the different types of dysphoria and how how the majority could be considered a, basically a form of social anxiety um, or like a developmental anxiety that um, that's either about um, oftentimes, um, uh, childhood sexual abuse is a severe, a serious cause of, of dysphoria. Um, uh, uh, obviously, uh, uh, internalized homophobia, getting that external, um, you know, um, negative feedback. Um, these are these are anxieties that these are social anxieties essentially that that develop around and then and then dysphoria transition is considered is is seen as the solution to that anxiety. Um, AGP is the only one that is not anxiety related. Obviously, bursting the bubble that's a severe anxiety inducer, um, but the actual cause the the root cause is not anxiety it's orientation, and that's the only one that isn't isn't rooted in in, in anxiety. Um, and the only way to properly treat people and to, to help people, give them the, the the resources and the and the and the mental health care that they need, is to is to tear this apart, to, to not mm-hmm. conflate them any longer. But yeah, we're gonna get we're we're gonna get that that um, that pushback because we're we're bursting a bubble, as you said. Mm-hmm. We're bursting an industry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really feel. I mean, the majority of kids that when I was doing this work clinically the majority of kids that I was seeing were awesome kids right I mean they're they're young they're they're naive they're still trying to figure this out and you know most of them they just want to transition and get on with their lives and be you know decent people and they're the ones that I feel like we're doing this for right because this is what they're inheriting is this this mess of a community and the pushback and that and it there's going to be growing pushback. This is just the beginning, especially in North America. They're a little further ahead than we are in in Europe. This is just the beginning of how ugly this is going to get. And this is what the kids are inheriting. And I don't want 12-year-olds inheriting this. This is the adult's mess. And we're the ones that need to clean this up, not the kids. And so, you know, it it hurts. And, you know, um some of that pushback of people who just, they're just oblivious to what's happening, right? They're, they're oblivious to this internal fight that's been going on in the trans community for decades. They're oblivious to how this whole industry has evolved and changed over the last, you know, 20 years or so. 
and they're oblivious to the backlash that's coming and, and what that backlash is really about. And um, they're not understanding that we're trying to get ahead of that curve to protect these kids. So it does hurt, you know, when you get dads on Twitter or whatever saying like, don't come after my trans kid. He's just a normal kid. It's like, yeah, I know he's just a normal kid. And that's exactly why we're doing this. Yep. 100%. That's, that's when you know that you've got a parent who loves their child and has been sold the fear tactic that if my child is not allowed to do this, they will commit suicide or they might commit suicide. It's heartbreaking how many parents are in this boat. They're, they are going to, 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 to fight tooth and nail um, to, to confirm that they made the right choice that because they, yes. they were, they were led down, down this. Um, yeah. That's, that's a really hard, hard thing to consider. I think the majority of trans people, you know, even our age, like the majority are, are just, they've just integrated into society and they're living their lives kind of oblivious to all of this and, and oblivious that there's more than one trans community. We're, we're in one trans community and then there's this whole other trans community and there's been this, this war between these two communities for a really long time. And, and the other community kind of had, took control of, of the trans narrative, you know, roughly 20 years ago um, and made this decision. This is how we're going to do things, right? We're using this queer theory way of thinking about things, um, not realizing that there's, a, and I don't know exactly how the numbers break down, you know, if it's 50, 50 or, or, you know, what this looks like in terms of numbers, because it's hard to count us because we're just scattered all across the world and, and just living our lives. And most people probably don't even know that, that, that they're trans. Right. So I don't know how we count them, but I think that they're in the, they're the majority. When I think back we're to the majority. Us, I would, I think so. Like if you count all the people that are just out there living their lives and they have, they have no idea that any of this is even going on because they're just working and raising kids or whatever they're doing. Right. I don't think they necessarily know that all this has happened. Like when I think back to my cohort of people who are transitioning around the same time I did, because when at the beginning of my transition, I was more involved in community services and supports um, because I needed to be right. I needed that support. I needed the medicalization and, well, didn't necessarily need the medicalization, but I was involved in the services at that time. And so I had a lot more contact with the whole trans community at that time. And um, thinking about that cohort, I would say it only ended up being a very tiny percentage of, of us that kind of stayed connected to a community and, and had some and invested interest in staying a part of the community and, and helping to direct the direction. So if, if that's kind of a, a gauge for percentages, I, I, the, the majority of us left and just got on with our lives. I think that was probably Absolutely. the case, but, but suddenly over the last five years, the explosion in the news and media, trans this, trans this, it's kind of taken over. Um, I think that, 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 that piques people's interest. You know, people who transitioned 10, 20, 30 years ago um, who, are, who are cluing in, uh, probably going, what? What what happened? Like what? Why is it? Why are we suddenly all over the news? And then you start looking a little closer, and realizing that um, that that just kind of how haywire things have gone. Um, I, I know for me, I so I transitioned ten years ago. I just sort of like just lived lived as a man, just kind of did my thing for seven years, and then in 2016, 2000, no, 2017 is when I got wind of the mass. Uh, 
the mass increase in numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and I think I think stories like like ours like like all all four of us here are kind of uh, you know can can be kind of microcosms of what's happening in the in the broader trans community of the broader trans experience is um those of us who just sort of like got the help we we needed at the time moved on with our lives and now we're here and and or is my perspective skewed because i just got so tucked into the the trans uh, debate. Well, that's another thing I, I want to say is that when I when I transitioned, I you know learned that I had dysphoria, or that's what we what we call it, right? And I assumed that what I experienced of gender dysphoria was what everybody experienced of gender dysphoria. I thought it was one thing. The entire world seems to also think it is one thing, and that's what we need to bust up. But um, when I so so I I thought that what I had is what is what all trans people had that feeling, mm-hmm. um, and so. When I, when you, when I start, when I saw the explosion and I started looking into it and reading other people's experiences, I realized this, these are very, very, very different experiences that we're all calling the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if other people who, who've lived their lives outside of the trans discourse have had similar experiences where they get wind of this and then maybe start digging a little deeper and finding out the way that things are for trans women versus trans men. And then all the different experiences therein as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, so again, I, I could be because I got very curious and I got and I started digging in. Um, so I'm assuming other people did similarly, but I but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, and reflecting back on my experience, um, and I, I don't know if this was your experience, Kenneth, too. And I, I I just I name you just because we transitioned around the same time and and in the same community and, and attended many of the same conferences. Is mm-hmm. it, looking back, it's it really kind of. One of the things that strikes me and and saddens me is, despite the fact that I've been to tons of conferences, I've interacted with hundreds, if not thousands, of other trans people, mostly trans men, um, over the years, and and online forums and and um, you know support groups, and uh, it's rare to really have a conversation like this where we just talk honestly about some of our motivations and what was going on for us at the time and what was this like for us as a child. Because if you, if you want to stay in the community and keep going to those conferences and keep going to those groups and, and be a service provider in the community, you learn pretty quickly not to say certain things, right? Including what was this experience like for you? Because exactly what you're saying, Aaron, is, is that it, it's so different for each of us. And this whole thing unravels really quickly when you get people to start talking honestly about what this was, what was actually going on for them and why they did this. So you get little sound bites of it. I mean, I've heard people say, Oh, well, you know, I lied to my clinician, you know, and said, you know, I just learned the script from talking to my buddies and I just went in and, and lied because I knew what they were going to talk about or, or so you hear all these little, little sound bits, but people are really, really guarded about opening up about what was really going on for them. Why did they transition? Why did you lie? Like, was it, you know, if you didn't have actual gender dysphoria, yeah, you know, and, and you felt like you needed to lie to get this treatment. Well, what, why was, why did you want to transition then? Right. And, and so it's really hard to get people to open up about those things. Right. And, uh, I don't know if that's been your experience, Kenneth, as well, like attending conferences and stuff that, to actually hear somebody's just narrative of someone's just raw experience of this, that's really, other than in, in small groups, like you, you sort of find your 
people, your friends. So the conversation yes. we're having now isn't unusual in somebody's basement rec room or they're around the coffee table or that's not unusual. Once you find your people and you feel safe to open up, that's then that stuff comes out, but it never comes out in the community or in, in public. And I think that's what we're, we're doing something so different here is these conversations that are normal for us to have amongst friends. We're making that public for the first time. And now people are saying like, Oh my God, like there's this pocket of the trans community and this pocket of the trans community. It's not all one community and we don't all think the same. And we haven't had all the same kind of gender dysphoria. I think that's kind of blowing people's minds because they haven't been exposed to these kinds of conversations ever. Yeah, for me, it was um, being invited to remain silent. Like, you have male privilege, so we're amplifying women's voices. I, I, I've heard that so many times. Um, and the other experience was... Um, especially like in the two peer support groups I was required to attend, those who had a different narrative, um, like people would take me aside afterwards, um, especially the trans women, and explain the danger of my narrative like, and that um, you can't, you know, this is what you need to tell your doctor. To get what you want you can't tell your truth you can't talk about this is the narrative you need to right like i was corrected on my narrative of mm -hmm. why i wanted to transition you know you you can't tell your doctor that your only motivation is a and b because of c and don't do not talk to dr blanchard about your history of sexual abuse. Don't ever, 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 when you go for your um, surgery approval, like we used to have to get the paper from Blanchard and um, Gail, is it Knudsen? Dr. Knudsen was the other psychiatrist. Is that, yeah. Am I yeah. pronouncing her? I don't, I don't know how wanna... it's pronounced, but yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking yeah. about. Um, do not mention because you will not get approved, right? You, 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 you have a lived history of sexual abuse. So if you mention that, you will not get approved. Well, I mentioned it and I got approved, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, there was very much um, the men were telling me what to do. Like the trans women were, um, yeah. Oh, you got You got to head out, Scott. Yeah. I gotta go. Bye, thanks, guys. Scott. Talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Scott. I appreciate your input, and thank you so much. We've done such a disservice to each other by teaching each other, and I mean, I, I don't. I hope I, that I've never done that, but it's it's commonplace, right? That we in the community, people kind of tell each other these tips about say this and don't say this, and we've done each other such a disservice by doing that because. The message maybe should be like, maybe do some work around your sexual trauma before deciding to transition. Like that might've been a safer, kinder, more responsible thing to tell people in the community rather than, hey, lie about that and get your hormones. Awesome, Aaron. Because you know what? Dr. Blanchard and Dr. Knutson said, you have obviously 
done your work in my in my assessment. That's what the professional psychiatrist said. What the trans peers were telling me was shut the fuck up and hide this shit. The professional said, you've done your work. You know, at that time I'd had um, almost a year of um, in inpatient alcohol and drug treatment. I had uh, attended the top uh, sexual abuse, the trauma um, 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 treatment group um, in the area at Pacifica Treatment Center. Um, I'd had uh, two years of alcohol and drug uh, counseling. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you, you, they, what, you know, you've got your grounding as far as your sexual abuse is concerned. We're not concerned about that in your transition process. So, yeah. And um, everybody was telling me to shut the fuck up about the sexual abuse history. And I've listened to some of the YouTube stuff and I made the deliberate, I made the decision to talk about it. So. Yeah, I'm consciously talking about I have a history of childhood sexual abuse. So, yeah. And exactly what you're saying is it's doing a disservice to require people to hide their lived history because their lived history might endanger your narrative or um, being an autogynephilic where um, transitioning is part of your sexual orientation Mm -hmm. um you know then yeah I, I when i when i got wind of this um or yeah about about three years ago or four years ago now um and I, I started spending a lot of time in ftm online communities uh just the one thing that was the most most common experience is childhood sexual abuse and yeah. it's like it makes so much sense why that why dysphoria would result and it's it's just fucking criminal that we don't talk about this um uh, yeah um but and, and why that isn't why why that hasn't ever been considered in the in, in the in the clinical work around uh, a gender dysphoria it, mm -hmm. why, yeah it just doesn't it boggles my mind um but yeah it's it's uh heartbreakingly common and but also you know perfect makes perfect sense um why why that exists why that would happen um why those four would develop from it that is or why and why uh, one thing that i've also realized um while spending a lot of time uh kind of looking into each different type of, of dysphoria and between males and females and pretty much across the board male motivation is is it's sexually it's sexually driven uh in basically seeking female sexual objectification um uh that's that's a cruel way to put it um but it's it's a general trend i've seen and the, in the opposite in the female direction is fleeing female sexual objectification and mm -hmm. why this is glossed over and not um obviously dysphoria is very complex and affects people differently but but mass trends that seems to be a case is very sexually motivated in males very socially motivated in females but oh but it's but a significant driver seems to seek protection under a veil of male uh, is is on the on the female transition side. Um, why the fuck this isn't talked about is is beyond me. Oh, it's criminal, and 
the silencing of it within the trans community needs to stop. And Morgan Morgan Auger does not have a right to silence my history because it's inconvenient to her narrative. And it's my gender identity, my sexual orientation are protected under the Canadian Human Rights Code. And I am a trans man and I was born a woman and my sex will always be woman. And my gender orientation at this point is I am most comfortable with having a masculine social gender presentation. The definition of gender identity and expression in Canada is it's about what's going on on the inside and the outside. It's, it's not biological. In my understanding, it's physiological or it's emotional and the, the physical, what's physically reflected. Um, so I say my gender identity is I am most comfortable with a masculinized social gender presentation. I was born a girl. I will die a woman. And that is my stance on that matter. So let her discriminate against me because of my gender identity. And we'll go gender identity to gender identity. Yeah. So.